So we are going to be uh, continuing in our series on the church. Uh, and the church, basically in the Bible, is not a building. Uh, the church in the Bible uh, is termed the people of God. And so the question is, what's foundational in our teaching? Uh, we looked at that last week, and how should the church function? First and Second Timothy uh, are letters from the Apostle Paul to uh, his young protege, Pastor Timothy. Uh, last week, we looked at the teaching of the church, that the Word of God is foundational. Uh, it says what we believe, and uh, basically, even when we have a difficulty with what the Bible says, we submit to the Word. Uh, and, the, 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 and we also submit to the gospel of grace, because Paul says, I am the foremost sinner, meaning that the gospel is not about our performance, but about grace. Now we turn our time to 1 Timothy 2. We'll first start with the first seven verses and then keep going. Uh, and, but this is going to usher us into the table. That this, uh, even this passage is a celebration of the goodness and grace of God. So would you stand with me uh, as we uh, want to hear from God's word. He is speaking. This is our act of just a, a physical representation of our submission the word of God. Paul writes this, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it, pleases, it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Let's pray and ask God to teach us through this. Father, I pray that you would give us insight into your word. God, I pray that we would hear it uh, as the Spirit brings it to us. God, help us to uh, hear with ears of faith uh, that you, the living God, are speaking to us. And, uh, Father, I just pray that you would be in our midst as we look at you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 I've talked to you about a, a number of different times, but I am not the most mechanically inclined person on the face of this planet. Uh, and uh, so when I first moved here, uh, Perry Bowers, uh, Perry and Janet, who just moved away to Chattanooga, uh, he called me up and he said, hey, I've got this extra bookcase that I, I'm not using. Do you want it? And I didn't have one for my office at the time. And I was like, sure, why not? And he goes, okay, I'll come over, you know, whatever, whatever day he said. I'll come over and we'll come. Yeah, I'll bring it over and we'll set it up in your office. And I'm like, all right, great. Uh, and uh, you, know, you get those kind of like, you know, uh, semi-pre-made kind of bookshelves. And they should be really easy to put together, Right. And you open it, and like you pull out this list of instructions, and it like drops all the way to the floor, and you're like, how many pieces could possibly be there? And we laughed because right at the top of the instructions were the, was the phrase, it's easy. <laughs> 
talked to Tim here. Uh, and so, you know, um, anyway, we, we kind of said it, and we're like, yeah, do we really need the instructions? The answer was yes, uh, because we all know that there are uh, kind of dangerous things that happen when we're trying to build something and we don't go according to its design. When uh, a bookshelf is made to be put in a certain way, we think we know what we're doing until we box ourselves into a corner and realize that we don't. If you put together furniture in your house, you know what I'm talking about. If you put together a model, you know what I'm talking about. In any way that there's instructions to put something together. And then God comes along and he says that he made this world. And I understand that that is a different take on, on how this world came to be than what our world uh, says, our culture says. But God said he made the world and he made it with design. And so to go outside of the design to make a bookshelf has one set of consequences. It's not the most dire thing we could ever do. But to go outside of the design that God has put into his created order, I think we would all agree that if we go outside of God's design for this world, there are even greater things in play. And so 1 Timothy 2, I think, begins to kind of put in uh, kind of practicalities what it looks like to live out the design that God has put into this world. And the first thing that we, we looked at was the idea of just the disposition of the church, that, that he is speaking, Paul to Timothy. Uh, and so what is like our mindset? What's our natural inclination? Or what, what should it be as, uh, as the church? You know, last week we looked at God's word and God's grace. Today it's like what, how do we look at ourselves and how should we look at life? Uh, and so what's the natural disposition of the church? Kind of chief among uh, a lot of things is our dependence upon God. That our life is, is uh, hinges on uh, who God is. You know, we saw it in, in the verses uh, that we just read, in, you know, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You know, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who live in high positions, that we may that they that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What you see in that verse is the is four words that talk about prayer, uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, uh, and they all kind of have a, a slightly different take on what prayer is. Supplications is the idea of asking or pleading. Uh, it's to ask in order that God would address a lacking or a need in our life. Okay? Uh, th this word is used by the man who had leprosy when he approaches Jesus. And it's translated there that he actually begged Jesus, this word, th this pleading with Jesus to heal him. Uh, so supplications are us, not just in a light way, but us pouring out our hearts to the Lord. Prayers is very close to supplications. Uh, it's, it's the nuance of calling on God and, and uh, you know, obviously reaching out to him uh, in a conversation, in a discourse. So one is kind of pleading. One is another kind of version of that is calling on God. Not really all that different. But intercessions um, are making requests 
But this same word for intercessions is used in 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, a couple chapters later, uh, and it points to the idea of thanksgiving. Uh, and so then you see intercessions and thanksgivings, obviously calling out and pouring out a heart and gratitude to God. Paul is basically saying to Timothy, teach the people or the church, what is it that we should be doing? Is that we should be pleading, asking God, pouring out our hearts and crying out to him, uh, making requests, but with thanksgiving, knowing that everything that we have is from him. But to do those things for all people. You know, what do you hear? Here's that you just hear that we have to reach out to God for our needs. So if, if we're called to pray, that means you and I have needs that we cannot solve by ourselves. That we have deficiencies that only God can fill. And maybe even before the fall of man happened in uh, Genesis. Uh, Genesis 3, that our life actually hinges on God even before sin enters the world. That there's this sense where our life, we need Him, we, we, we find our life in Him. And so if a leprous, a leprous man is any indication for us of crying out and begging God, that that might be an appropriate way to approach God, what would it be for us to actually approach God with a similar fervor? And then also not just a crying out for our, our needs and for God to enter in, but we thank Him for His work in our lives, that God provides, God sustains, God brings people into our lives, God hears our prayers on our behalf and on theirs. But this, notice the scope. So it's not just pray. Not just ask for things, but pray for whom? Pray for uh, all these things made for all people, for kings and all who are in high places. That these prayers are not only for fellow believers in the church and among the church, but these prayers are also designed for the world around these people and the world around us. So that our prayers ought to be for our government, our leaders, people are who are in place in authority over us, that God calls us not just to pray for each other, but that we would be praying for uh, the people in leadership as well. So there's this dependence on God that's kind of indicative of this disposition of God's people, but also there's a desire for, for all people to know the Lord. And so in that, what do you hear when we looked back at when we look back at verses three through six? What we see is God's heart for the world, God's heart for people, uh, and we see that this is good. He says, uh, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior that it is God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if that is God's heart, it ought to be our heart as well. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man. And that's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That this sense of the desire for people to know the Lord, that God's desire is that people would be saved. It ought to be our desire 
as well. But the beautiful part is where Paul starts to push in verse 7. The, the part there is that I think there's a natural inclination for God's people to kind of keep things internal. But Paul says, for this, I was appointed for all those things, the good news of the gospel. I was appointed a preacher and apostle. Tell me the truth. I'm not lying, Timothy. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. So who are the Gentiles? So the Gentiles are anybody that does not have a national heritage of being Jewish or of the nation of Israel. You could say that they would be outside of the Old Testament people of God. And that Paul was, was called and appointed as a preacher and an apostle to the very people that were outside. That they were, that he was called to take the gospel to the people that might be very unlikely. And so the disposition of the church is not just like we saw last week, that God gives us his word and we will sit on it and we will, be, this is our foundation, whatever it says, we will uh, submit to it. It is that, it is the authority of God's word and his grace, but also that we have to have a desire that people in this world would come to know him. Paul was appointed for that very purpose that his entire life was there. But it's God's heart. It ought to be our heart. And so, but also we see this sense of distinction within the church, okay? And you remember last week, all that talk of whatever's in the Word of God, yeah, that's our foundation, and when we don't agree or don't like the, what the Word of God says, we submit ourselves to the Word. This would be one of those passages where that's a very crucial understanding. Because this passage pushes in ways uh, that are our culture, and at times maybe even our own sensibilities, are struck by. Remember that freedom is found under God's authority, not away from it. And I say that as a caveat, because this passage is one that people deeply struggle with and grapple with. It strikes them wrong. It might strike you wrong as we're about to read it. Uh, certainly, it disagrees with modern culture, not just a little bit, but in a big way. In uh, the potential of not agreeing or not liking what the Word says, that comes to us today in this passage. Because it speaks to men and women, distinctively and unique. Men, certain instructions. Women, unique instructions. Okay, before we get into it, let me state what we believe that the Scriptures teach about men and women. First off, Men and women are both equally made in the image of God. Genesis 1, male and female, he created them. Equally valued, equal worth, equal importance, both in the image of God. And yet, uh, they, they held different roles in creation. Male and female, each has a unique place in creation. Here's Genesis 2. This is before the fall, before sin. That the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not, a, a, there was not found a helper fit for him. Uh, you know that, and when, when, uh, when God creates Eve from Adam, puts him to sleep and creates Eve, when he brings Eve 
uh, to Adam, what does Adam say? He says, at last, like, yes. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And so even in Eve's original creation design, there was a design of a helper for Adam. From the various passages in the Bible that teach on gender and marriage, uh, we see them pointing to something. And that is the idea of headship and authority, both in, in the home and in the church, is given to men. And I don't say that lightly by any stretch of the imagination. Okay? Uh, and yet, there is essential roles and function within the family, within the church, for and by women. This, our culture says this is demeaning, but yet God's word points to this. Our culture's take on gender distinction is, says that it's demeaning. Differences must mean that one is better and one is not as good. Scripture paints it in a completely different way. Scripture says that differences exist, but not in the way of less and, and more or better or worse. Differences are that just that, differences. Our culture says differenti differentiation of roles uh, is sexist. But the Bible... In the Bible, God made those distinctions, and they are inherently valuable. Distinction is not demeaning. Value is enhanced, I would submit, because of distinction. And Paul begins this section by addressing men and women. So let's look at verse 8. So let me inform you, this is not going to satisfy your curiosity on this passage. We're, we're tracking towards the Lord's Supper together. And I would love to talk further, and let's search the scriptures together over these things. That I desire, then, that in every place, uh, that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So there's a unique instruction to men. Okay? What does it relate to? It relates to anger. Now, if, if he's saying that to men, does that mean that women cannot, uh, he's, he's not talking about the anger of women. Well, he's addressing it specifically to men, and understanding that there may be a particular struggle and propensity towards these things. He's not saying as if women never struggle this direction. He's addressing it here, okay? Men in every way. Just, just before warning, some of the wording of this passage may... Uh, may strike you. Um, and, and so we're going to grapple with the word of God. It is God's word to us. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable attire, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or in gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, if you're sitting here with a ponytail or uh, a, a French braid, um, Oh, my girls didn't bring it here today. Okay, so um, so let, let's you know. So let's first off understand the context. The context is the understanding of when we look back at uh, when we look back at the uh, the caution to men. It's it's talking about lifting up holy hands, and so there's this sense of worship that is in play uh, and in fitting 
uh, it, since uh, many other men and women passages also address public gatherings of worship. So there, there's a sense where uh, worship is in, uh, in play, and the, the address to men is around anger, the address to women is around modesty. Again, it's not that men don't have to think about modesty. This is a specific addressing to this, to women. And, and the key word here is adorn. Because if you miss adorn, then you're going to miss the understanding of what this passage is speaking about. That you might adorn with respectable or proper apparel. Adorn with modesty and self-control. Not adorn with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly attire. So don't read the word adorn as a complete prohibition. Why? Because don't adorn with immodesty, right? Even the idea of, uh, or costly attire. Because is Paul saying that adorning is a complete prohibition of those things? If he is, then he's also prohibiting clothing entirely. I don't think that was Paul's point. Okay? It's the sense where, uh, where the, the council here is to, remember it's worship, is to not draw the glory of God away from him and towards ourselves. We all understand how we could carry ourselves in a way that would rob God of his glory and try to bring it to ourselves. The BCM report on women in ministry written about five years ago talks about uh, that in culture, expensive clothing was a display of high social rank or maybe even a desire to rise to status, that those things were used in some ways that way, that Greeks and Jews also viewed extravagant dress as a sign of promiscuity and a disregard for husbands' authority as heads of households. Remember that the context is worship, that worship is the place where glory goes to God. But think about your heart. Are there ways that we try to rob God of his glory. I think if, if our hearts seem to multiply those ways, and the, the way we dress or modesty could be one of those things. This is somewhat written negatively, but think about the positive, is that God has given distinction. There is beauty in women that is unique to creation. And how, do you, how does beauty become something to glorify God? Uh, we have to keep moving. Um, and uh, just, just for the sense, because he moves to gender distinction when it comes to headship and authority. But those concepts at times, headship and authority are abhorrent in our culture. Okay? So, um, sorry, we've got to stick to context here. So kind of hear it this way. So from uh, Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay? All right. Husbands, love your wives and give your life for her. Well, that, that's the follow-up verse to wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, verse 22, people had a lot of trouble with. Verse 25, we'll take it. Right? So often that verse is seen, this verse here, seen oppressive, chauvinistic, demeaning women. I don't think that's God's design for this world, that God would be oppressing 
and demeaning women because how much did Jesus love his bride, the church? Enough to leave heaven, give up his own rights, be treated, betrayed, uh, scorned, crucified uh, to the point that he gave his life for her. Husbands, love your wives like that. In my years of ministry, I haven't encountered a wife yet who has rejected her husband loving her like Christ loved the church. That he would love her sacrificially. That he would love her by giving up his own rights. Yes, I know today's football Sunday. Right? That he would love her by cherishing her, by caring for her, by seeking her well-being. I haven't encountered a wife yet that would reject her. So husbands and men in the church, that these passages are as much for, uh, for leading in the way of Christ's leadership as much as it is uh, a, um, a sense for, uh, for the, the, the women around us. So it's in that context that God points to the idea of kind of the created order, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And I understand our culture would laugh that out of the room. And maybe even your own sensibilities are saying, I struggle with that. But here's the thing. God is giving his word to us. And I think, I think that, really, that God is calling us to grapple with his word, because when we come back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, let a woman learn quietly and all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? Here's the creation order. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgression, aggressive. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, I wish we were not rushed for time. Because I don't read these verses lightly. When I first toured my, uh, when I went back to seminary and toured the seminary, I was taking the girls around. Uh, and we walked in and there was a classroom of guys in pastoral training. And we leave and, and Hayden looks at me and is like, why are there only men in that room, Dad? I don't come at this lightly. She was angry at me for a while uh, when I said that, that that ordination and authority in God's church is reserved for men. She struggled deeply with that. Why? Because, well, what does that mean? How can that be? And so I don't come at this lightly or in any sense uh, trying to uh, kind of Hold anything there. I'm coming at this from the sense of God gives us His word. Just know that this is not a limitless application of these words. That there is a sense where this is is, is that idea of of worship. Uh, that even Paul says that women should learn. That ancient culture says that that women should even be educated. That this was actually counterculture. Uh, that Paul's message is that authority in the church is reserved for men, yet Paul roots that in creation. Why? He roots it in creation 
for our good and his glory. That to go against design, the way God designs the, the world. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, he says. But there is something ingrained in creation that is good for God's people. And I don't say this lightly. I don't say this in any way uh, other than God gives us his word. God gives it to us so that we might recognize how his church and homes and families should function. What does that look like for us? It feels like maybe a Sunday school class on this. But before we do that, why don't we pray and go to the uh, God, I pray that you would uh, be with us. Um, God, as this is difficult, none of this is easy. God, what does it look like for us to live according to your design? What does it look like for us to be your people? Uh, God, that we would understand what might be cultural, what might be rooted in creation. God, bring us understanding, especially the sense of distinction, not of any, anything that would be less, uh, but Father, I pray that you would do an amazing work in us, that we would grapple with your word and give us ears to hear it. God, I thank you for people in this room. I thank you for this church. Uh, that even in difficult things, we'd be willing to grapple with you or teach us by your spirit and things in Christ's name. Amen.